Dan Feldman here. Welcome to Locked On Pistons. Follow on Audio Boom or subscribe on iTunes. I'm joined today by Nate Duncan from the Dunk Don Podcast. Nate, how are you? You're lucky that I'm even coming on to this show after you just ripped us apart for our <laughs> Pistons grades over the last couple of years. Why why do you gotta be such a hater for the Pistons? <laughs> Well, we'll see what happens for this year. I, I felt like my B- minus that I later, later raised to a B was fairly accurate. Danny, you can feel quite willing to just uh, take his grades apart, though. <laughs> yeah, you were fairly accurate, but, but at Locked On Pistons, we strive for very accurate. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully now I can give you a chance to, to talk a little more kindly about the Pistons, or maybe not. The Pistons are, are one of the teams, you know, maybe a handful of teams that have a lot of money locked in for next season and even a little bit beyond where, where they can always make a trade and they've been active trading, but you feel like you know what their core is. There's not going to be a ton of cap space. They're probably good enough where they're not going to have a high draft pick. Like This is, to a certain degree, barring a trade, what they have to work with for the near future. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how how high do you think this team ceiling is you know, where they can go from here or, you know, if they're making the right choice to lock into this core now. Uh, so I think to start, I think the big question is, is looking at Andre Drummond. He was a first time all-star last year. He's still young. He's still in his early twenties. Is he the type of player? Do you think a, a team that wants to be a championship contender can build around and make a franchise player? I don't think he's ever going to be good enough to be the best player on a championship team. I think because while he has, you know, he's very young, he theoretically has a lot of development in front of him. He's a 22-year-old all-star. The East all-star team was rather watered down in recent years. I think he was certainly not, I would say, one of the 24 best players in the league last year, necessarily. And... I do think that some of the ways in which players generally improve when they get older are things that he's going to struggle with, at least on the offensive end. I think the free throw shooting is always going to be an issue, and I think that he's not really going to be a great post-up threat. I don't see him as having that type of touch or moves or feel, uh, although he still did have a pretty high usage rate last year for a center at 24%, so maybe you'd say he doesn't need to improve that that much. Uh, and the question is then becomes how good can he get defensively? If he could be a top three defensive center in the league, maybe then you can get there. But I still don't think he's ever going to be efficient enough to be a real true offensive centerpiece in a traditional kind of way. Yeah, he's definitely. I'm, I'm with you there. He'll never be a traditional best player on a championship team. Uh, but the Pistons won a title in 2004 with somebody like that. I mean, Ben Wallace was was their best player, and and he wasn't the traditional was he their best player. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and so one of my hot takes is that I think at that time Ben Wallace was the third best player in the league behind Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett. That it was sort of when Shaq was in his you know in between lethargic stage. Kobe wasn't quite ready, and I you know. I'm not as high on Tracy McGrady as others. And I just think there was this brief window where Ben Wallace, because of all he could do defensively 
And I think he was underrated offensively in that he, he didn't miss a lot of shots. He didn't take a lot of shots, but he didn't miss a lot. He didn't turn the ball over a lot because he didn't try and do too much. He set good screens. He grabbed offensive rebounds. Uh, so I think not in terms of reputation, but in terms of what he could provide, I think he was a superstar level. Do you think there's any chance of, of Drummond becoming that type of contributor at that level? Yeah, I'm going to let that whole Ben Wallace third best <laughs> player in the league thing go by a little bit uh, because Tracy McGrady used to be awesome, by the way, and there are probably 10 other guys I might put in that category at the time. But uh, I will let that go for now. Uh, but I think that maybe the better parallel for me is Dwight Howard, what he was in Orlando. That's one that a lot of people have made. But I think people forget that Dwight Howard, much has been made about, oh, he wants to post up. He's not efficient at posting up. He used to actually be pretty good at posting up unless he was being guarded by like a true stopper, Kendrick Perkins type in the post. I mean, he's a guy who put up 45 points uh, or maybe it was 40 points like in the 2009 playoffs to close out the Cavs in largely by going into the post. And so I, I don't think that Drummond can quite get to that point. I also don't think he quite has the mobility or the fast twitch jumping that Howard had defensively from a physical standpoint. And also Howard uh, just executed better defensively, even at that at age 22 than we've seen from Drummond at an equivalent age. But that is sort of the scenario that you would look at it. Maybe he wouldn't be a top five player in the league like Howard was, but maybe you could be a top 15 player in the league if you were to really get close to Howard's level defensively. I think I think Howard's an interesting comparison because that's another one of my hot takes. And and this one's a little harder to justify. And you already didn't agree with my Ben Wallace stance. But I think the bar for being the best player in a championship team is a lot lower than people realize. And, I, you know, I think if Drummond has a balanced team around him, obviously his teammates would have to be very good. Uh, but I think the bar for being the best player on a championship team is lower. The problem with that is like who's the last time the last time a team won a championship without yeah, you like you got to have a top 10 player in the league and maybe even two top 15 players other than that 2004 Pistons unicorn who team. had and the, then, who and, had and the maybe, third best player in the league <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, consensus third best player <laughs> in the league uh yeah and then maybe going back to those 89 90 teams probably people would have thought Isaiah was that but I I felt like you know he probably wasn't as good uh, as a lot of people thought back then. And that really, the the fact that the Pistons have had great success with these kind of team-by-committee approaches without superstars twice in their history, it's ironic because I think that's really, that is the type of team that they are going to need again if they are going to get into championship contention. Yeah, I'm with you. Maybe if you're pointing at the team with the the worst best player that actually won a championship, in a while, maybe it's those bad boy Pistons. And that's not to take away anything from Isaiah Thomas, who's a, who's an all time great. Uh, but he's just not quite on the level of, of these other teams for, for the Pistons to win, maybe in a more traditional way. Let's say let's for the argument's sake, say Drummond gets near that level of stardom, maybe not quite there. Maybe he's there, uh, but he's in the picture. You know, like you said, the pick, the way most teams do it, you probably need two stars. Where do you think is the Pistons' best chance of getting a second star? 
That's an interesting question. I think you'd have to look at either Reggie Jackson or Stanley Johnson as the two guys that that could most likely come from. Jackson, while is a guy whose raw stats haven't been uh, have been good, but maybe not as efficient in his career as you'd hope. But he did show a lot of growth, as you you've noted on my preview podcast, in his shooting on three pointers, and he shot thirty five percent last year. If he can either up that volume or even get up to maybe 37%. Now you really are working with something in that pick and roll with Drummond. So maybe Reggie Jackson, if he can get to be, you know, not just a, Hey, we didn't have anyone else in the East. You made the all-star team, but Hey, you know, you really are legitimately, you know, a top six, top five point guard in the league. Then maybe you're starting to cook there. And then Stanley, I would feel good about him if he were just more explosive. I think like he's got everything else. I think his jumper, his form is okay. I think he's got pretty decent moves. He's strong. He competes defensively, but he just is not. He's got uh, decent ability off the dribble for his size in the pick and roll. He looked good in summer league doing that. He's still very young, but he just is not the type of elite leaper that you would expect from like some of the true wing stars that we've traditionally had in the league. So I, I think they're going to be hard-pressed to really find someone who I think is is going to be a, a top 15 player in the league. But that's not the end of the world because I still think they have enough depth and enough young depth that they could make some significant strides even if they don't get to that absolute championship level. Yeah, Reggie Jackson's interesting because he was a near all-star this year. Uh, at at the time the All-Star game players were actually chosen, he yeah. dropped off a little bit in the second half, and I don't think anybody would say he was a near All-Star for the season. Uh, yeah, but he, he's he, got to get better on defense, too. He's atrocious yes, on defense, yes. and there's not really much excuse for that. No, there's not. Uh, I think what happens with him sometimes, I think maybe some of it is conditioning, and maybe this is just you know the max load he can carry. The, the Pistons, like we've talked about, do ask a lot from him offensively. He's the only plus passer in the starting lineup like that takes a toll and you know maybe they just need to get him a a playmaker maybe that could be stanley johnson uh, and they can grow together and you don't have one top fifth one second or a second top 15 player you have like two top 25 players as they grow together and complement each other Uh, one other guy i think is worth mentioning is tobias harris who's just 24 and has a lot of good all-around ability I think he's in the mix too as a possibility from within. I don't. I don't think he'll get there, uh, but I do think he has a fighting chance. Yeah, he in a lot of ways, defensively, I think he he just has so many areas in which I think he would have to improve to get into that conversation. He's another guy, not really that explosive, not really that tough, not that good defensively, not that great of a shooter. Uh, not that great of a passer. I mean, there are just so many things that he would have to make significant improvements. And I think he's a valuable player to be sure. I think he's on a good contract. I think they need his scoring. You know, I don't think he's a bad player, but to really get into being a star, there's so many things he would have to improve that. And he's not incredibly athletic either. So I think it, it would be quite difficult for that to happen. The one big thing I think working in his favor besides his his age is that he's a good ball handler. And I think a lot of times with, with a more traditional star, that's what it's going to be. You're going to have the ball in your hands and you're going to need to be able to to operate with the ball in your hands. And he can do that. Maybe not at the peak efficiency that you want yet, 
but I do think that opens a path for him to grow into that more traditional type of star in a way that, that I don't think Drummond obviously has. And, and so that, that gives him a little bit of an in. I, I think we can agree, right? Like the Pistons are going to be good enough for the foreseeable future that they're not going to slip and have a draft pick that's going to, you know, be somebody you'd consider on a good track towards stardom, right? Yeah, no, and I would have loved for them with the way that they are kind of locked in to this core that that was going to be the plan for them to go on a higher upside potential guy with that 18th pick. I don't really think that that is Henry Ellenson necessarily. I think you're higher on him than I am. One other thing that occurred to me just looking at their roster is, and I think that these factors are overrated a lot by the traditional media, so I don't want to go too crazy with it, but who is sort of a smart player on this team? Who is a guy who can be, at least grow into sort of being a veteran leader type, hold guys accountable, you know, make sure everyone executes defensively? I'm not sure that I see that guy on this roster right now. Well, I think those are two different skills, and they can overlap, but I think as far as the leadership... I think part of the reason the Pistons were okay letting Anthony Tolliver go and letting Joel Anthony go and letting Steve Blake go is it's time for Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson to show they can do that. Are, are those, but I mean, if there, is there any indication that they can? Well, the indication that they need to is that Reggie Jackson's <laughs> the point guard and Andre Drummond's the best yeah. player and it naturally falls to them. I mean, at a certain point, you can't just rely on that crutch. Like if sure. the Pistons get good and Reggie Jackson, you know, takes that next step, even if it's not quite to start him, but, you know, being a very good point guard, it's people are going to ask him to be more of a leader. People are going to depend on Andre Drummond to be more of a leader. So you, you're going to need them to embrace it anyway. Why not just throw him into the fire now, especially when the rest of the roster is young and going to be more prone to look up to him? There's a natural thing where, you know, you, you see when it when it's not as natural, like an example like the Bulls, where Jimmy Butler became the team's best player, but Joe Kim Noah was still around, Derrick Rose was still around, and I don't think that team knew how to how to react to a changing of the guard. Yeah, I just think of those guys, at least from their reputations, I don't know either of them particularly personally, but... Reggie Jackson, somewhat of a volatile guy, you know, was vocal about wanting to get out of Oklahoma City. His comments about the refereeing and uh, on a play where, frankly, he shouldn't have gotten a foul call. Uh, you know, I think it was game four of that Cavs series about how, like, the referees should be punished and stuff like that. And then Drummond has a reputation as kind of more of a happy-go-lucky, spacey sort of type of guy. Um, so, I, you know, I that's... That's just kind of what made me think of that. I mean, I don't want to overstate that. I mean, there's a lot of other factors that are going to determine what this team's ceiling is. But it was something that I just as I thought about them, uh, you know, Stan, I think they're just going to have to take a lot of their cues from Stan, at least in the short term. Oh, a- absolutely. I think those issues are very, very important. The problem is from the outside, it's so hard to evaluate who's actually a leader, who just has a reputation as a leader, like who's good in the locker room. Yeah. Who's, well, who's Reggie, guys Reggie like really like upset Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook when he was in Oklahoma city. I mean, that's like, and now you can say, all right, he's got his own team. That's what he wanted. It'll be better. But you know, I I think again, we don't have all the evidence, but what evidence we do have is not particularly positive. Well, Reggie Jackson's problem was he did not handle having a role less than what he deserved based on how good he was league wide. He did not handle that. Well, like that's not a problem he's going to ever have in Detroit. 
Uh, so I, what else do you think are, are some of the, the variables here? Like, uh, you know, as far as how good they can get. I mean, to me, I guess the other one would be how good is this team going to get defensively? I, I think that they have a team that's not, you know, I don't see this team ever being a top five offense. Maybe they could get to be, you know, kind of lower end top 10. And if you want to be a 55 win team, that means you're going to have to get top 10, maybe even top six, top five in defense. That's another big variable for this team as far as like whether they're going to hit their ceiling or not. And I, you know, I think a lot of that falls that right back to Andre Drummond. You know, can he make a leap like DeAndre Jordan made? And I think they're, they're, those are two players with similar physical profiles. And last year, I think in a lot of ways, DeAndre Jordan figured out you know, how to do the little things better to be an elite defensive player, or at least near elite, where Andre Drummond hasn't yet, and he's younger and there's time. Uh, I, you know, I think there's room, definitely room for incremental improvements from everybody else, but I think it's going to be on him at some point to, to just be somebody who locks down and, and is the defensive anchor that, that makes the team pretty good, if not better, defensively by himself. Yeah, I think his room protection is something that I've always found kind of interesting. This might be a little too granular for what is a more long-term focused podcast, but is he, because he's not that quick. He's got great tools, obviously, but he's not incredibly quick off his feet, I don't think, mm-hmm. to where you know he's got to kind of load up. He blocks all of his shots with his left hand, too, which could be useful because most guys are right-handed, but it's nice to have that versatility. But I think really where more of his future protecting the rim lies is because he has such quick feet actually. And he's got that big chest, just getting his chest in front of guys going straight up, not even necessarily blocking the shot. If he can learn that verticality, I think he could be a huge weapon there because he's so fast and anybody that hits him in the air is just going to bounce off him and they'll never make the shot. Well, you don't get anything in the stat sheet for that. (laughs) <laughs> and and I think that's really, you know, the big picture issue. Like, yes, it's hard to evaluate from the outside, but this team needs to become more mature, become more focused, you know, more driven. Like all those things, they matter a lot. And and that's a young team, and I think that'll that'll come. I, I think the big question to close on is, you know, well, I guess it's two parts. One, where do you think this current group, if the Pistons ride it out and keep, you know, this core intact? Where do you think they peak? And do you think they would be correct to lock into this core? Because because I do think, and I think you'd agree with this, continuity is important in the NBA. Like you gain a lot of advantages by keeping your core together. The trick is you have to decide when to lock in because you don't want to lock in and start working toward continuity if it's not a core worth locking into. So do you so two part question? Where do you think this core peaks, and do you think it's worth locking into this core right now? I think that their kind of medium outcome, if you want to say what is the best record the Pistons are going to have in the next five years, maybe like fifty one, fifty two wins. I think that's probably where they'd end up. But maybe you could have a team that gets to fifty five, fifty six, one or two of those years. Maybe high forties, low fifties. They have. And that's not something that's like, oh, they're for the second part of your question, should they lock in? You know, I think that they, it would have been nice if some of the guys that they signed at the margins, they had either signed different guys who I think would have helped more lure Baines fall into that category for me. Uh, or 
if they uh, had just, you know, kind of signed shorter term contracts, maintained flexibility. I mean, most of the guys on this team are still relatively cheap, although once KCP gets his extension, that may no longer be possible. But I, when you look at just this core, I think they have guys who can be pretty good at each position. And I'm not sure who they're going to be getting in, you know, they're not going to be bad enough to get a draft pick that's going to be better than those guys. And they're not going to be able to probably get an upgrade on those guys in free agency necessarily, uh, unless they were maybe to get to kind of that low 50 win area already. And then it'd be nice to have some flexibility, but I'm not sure that that's realistic. So I think as far as locking into the core, I think I, I'm good with that, and they pretty much have already. They they did with Drummond. They got Jackson. Uh, Johnson is still a ways to go. Marcus is a very good contract. KCP is really the only remaining variable. Uh, Tobias Harris he has three more years, too. So KCP is really the only remaining variable there, and I think you certainly would want to re-sign him at you know whatever the market rate is. Yeah, I think we're largely in agreement there. I, you know, I, I think in the next few years, if they stick with this core or or make com- comparable trades where you're just mixing around pieces but sticking with a similar vision, uh, yeah, I think this is a team that's going to top out in the mid to low fifties, maybe make a, a conference finals, and I think they could be good enough where if like they catch all the breaks where. You know, I, I look at it as similar to the where the Trailblazers were a couple years ago uh, before LaMarcus Aldridge left when they had a fairly young team that was growing together. And the Pistons are even younger than the Trailblazers were. Uh, but it, that was a team where if you catch all the right breaks and you do it in the right year, yeah, I don't think a finals berth is out of line. I don't think it was for the Trailblazers. They just didn't yeah, happen to have it the right year. Yeah. Once once LeBron finally begins to drop off, you know, three years from now, it wouldn't be totally out of the question. And I think also you have to consider too, this team was never bad enough. I mean, I think what's the highest pick they ever had was eight, right? So there might have been a get, seven in there. Yeah, yeah. If you can get to uh, if you can get to a level where you're winning fifty five games, or even have the possibility of doing that when you never bottomed out so badly that, you know, you're getting a, a superstar level, a guy, you know, I mean, they drafted pretty well in that range, even under Joe Dumars in, in the last couple of years. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that is an accomplishment to get there. And maybe this isn't a team with championship upside, uh, but you know, they have enough of these young guys that maybe one of them could work out. Okay. And I think Stan in large part, when you look at where they are coming from, has done well to get them to this point. And, and even if a large part of why they've improved has been uh, his own upgrade at coach. Yeah, that I mean, that's a big part of it. And, and having Stan gives them some leeway. The other big thing worth mentioning is Detroit is not a free agent destination. And the Pistons have largely accepted that. The one exception was when they went after Al Horford uh, this last summer because they had Arn Tellum in the front office and that gave him an in. And otherwise, they basically said, look, we know top superstar, even star free agents probably don't want to come here. We we haven't been good. We're not this premier market. The weather is not so the most appealing. Can I push appealing. back on that a, a sure. little bit? Because you get this from a lot of fan bases. I actually just, just on a podcast with uh, the Blazers Edge guys, they are of the same opinion. And yeah, I, I certainly agree with that, but do we really know that that's true? Like, when have the Pistons ever both been decent 
and had space. I don't think that there really is any time that that's been the case other than maybe this last year, but that's still only really the eighth seed. And this was also maybe the worst free agent market for teams in NBA history. So it's hard to have that be your litmus test. I mean, they were able to get like an Antonio McDice back in the day when they were good. They signed Chauncey Billups as well. Granted, not a, a guy who was considered a star at the time, but who matured into one. Uh, Rashid Wallace was happy to go there and then he resigned. Uh, so, I, you know, I wouldn't say that if they're good, that you, you could be as sure about that. I mean, Detroit is a, a, as a big market. You know, there, I think people kind of forget that. Uh, it's a top 10 NBA market in terms of size. Uh, there probably are some opportunities there in terms of local endorsement. So, I mean, you live there, you know it better than I do. But I think there are a lot of teams that are like, oh, we could just never get someone. It's like, well, maybe you're not getting anybody because you're not any good, not because this market just no one ever wants to come here. I agree. So what I'm talking about more than how it is, is how the Pistons view themselves. There are like Stan Van Gundy has been pretty open about like, Hey, we can't really chase these top free agents. Like they just don't see it as realistic. They see it as a waste of time. And I think that might start to change as they get good. Although the catch is to get good. Like they have, They've had to commit all the salary for future years and might not have cap space. They did have a decent amount of flexibility early in that run of, of all those conference finals because, like, so Chauncey Billups is a good example on all sides of this uh, because they got him because they went out and gave him a, the full mid level contract, which it's hard to imagine now. But for Billups, like back then, that was a big deal. Like that yeah, was probably, probably more than best. anybody else would have paid him. And they did that's it on day the best one ever full mid-level contract. Anyone has ever signed. Uh, it's that or Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace was right, right in that same range too. Uh, and, and so, you know, to, if, if the Pistons go out and outspend everybody, yeah, they're going to get some free agents. Uh, the problem is when you get to the max level guys, you can't outspend the rules prevent it. And so, no, it's not hopeless. And, you know, maybe if they had gotten Al Horford, and I don't think they were particularly close to that, but maybe if they had gotten Al Horford, we'd be having a different conversation. Uh, but this is how they view it. And so I think given that, and given that I think those concerns were fair at the time, given how bad the team had been for so long, uh, this is the step they needed to take. They did need to lock in. And the bonus of locking in and playing well is everybody's trade value is going to improve. And if there's somehow a way where you can be close enough to having cap space and the guy's a free agent in a year he wants to consider you, it's not that hard to unload salary if you have good players. If you have players with the perception of being good and nothing improves the perception of players more than winning. Yeah, I think the part of the locking in that I've been critical of is the bench guys, you know, the... 25 million bucks in backup centers you know that that kind of locking in is what i'm more critical of yeah than but the, just the guys who are good but their bench was, was so bad last year like if their bench is the difference between winning a playoff series and maybe even two next year like i think you sing a different tune because that will just change completely the perception of the team and all the players like i think it's a definitely a rising tide lifts all boats where if you win every player on the team is treated differently. Like, look at the Warriors. I mean, you see it up close. Like, somebody like Ian Clark, 
if he were on the Pistons, we would talk about him much differently than if he were on the Warriors. Uh, I mean, I I don't really talk about him differently. And he, he got a he was a free agent and he got a minimum contract, and so did James Michael McAdoo. Well, but what uh, it, what might have he had got? Like when he gets a minimum contract from the Warriors, people are like, oh, like what a steal! Like. You know they're they're keeping this guy who's you know a nice outside shooter. I, I, part, I would, I would like this. to meet those people. <laughs> oh, I because I am not one of them. Where if he signs with the Pistons, <laughs> it's it's just nothing. Yeah, and and so I you know he's obviously on the extreme, but it's the mid level guys. It's somebody like uh, Ish Smith or John Lure, who if the Pistons are winning, I think their trade value goes way up. Like DJ Augustine, the Pistons signed him to a deal that maybe wasn't the most team friendly. Uh, but because he was playing well, he was useful in the trade for Reggie Jackson. Like I, I just think you get a lot of opportunities. It's a different way than people think of traditional flexibility. Traditional flexibility is short contracts, low-paying contracts. And obviously, that's more of a guarantee of flexibility. But I think you can get a lot of flexibility with just playing well. I like that DJ Augustine contract. What was that, like two years, six million or something? Yeah, maybe it wasn't so bad. <laughs> but he was he was a little just, older too. He was a little older. You know, there was some criticism of like why same thing with Ish Smith, like why are you signing a guy whose age doesn't quite fit what you're building? Yeah, DJ Augustin saved the Bulls in the twenty fourteen <laughs> season. He saved he was one of the guys that saved their season under Tibbs. Yeah, um, that, that was one yeah. of his on was one of his on years in his on again, off again career. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the Pistons got rid of him at the right time. But anyway, uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, just, you can follow me on Twitter at Nate Duncan NBA. I usually live tweet games throughout the season when they're on even Pistons games. So, uh, feel free to come at me. Pistons fans. If you don't like what I'm saying, uh, and even Pistons games, the condescension. <laughs> well, it's just cause they're one out of 30 teams. There's a, <laughs> a low percentage chance that I would be live tweeting any particular game, Dan. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and uh, also the Dunked on Basketball podcast, just a daily NBA podcast. We try, Dan Lurie and I, Dan comes on pretty regularly to do some cap stuff. He actually did a Pistons team preview that we recorded shortly before this. So that's something to listen to as well. And I'm at, and the, and the link for that is in my Twitter bio, Nate Duncan NBA. I'm at Dan Feldman NBA on Twitter. Follow Locked On Pistons on Audio Boom and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.